Hey folks, welcome back to the DC3Cast. My name is Brian, with me as always are Zach and Vince. We are here to talk about the DC Comics released on June 5th, 2019. So if you haven't read those yet, pause the podcast, go read them, and then come back and join us. Um, any news we gotta get to? Um, if only we had like Rob, a list Rob, or something to... Rob Pattinson confirmed for Batman. There we right? go. I like it. I have no opinion on it. I'm sure it's fine. Yeah, it's going to be fine. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> Bendis is teasing some uh, DC Millennium type stuff. <laughs> yes. Superhero stuff. And Omac, he teased Omac as well. Yeah. Yeah, that was under. He used the Millennium hashtag for that. Yeah, he that Omac image. So, how millennials are ruining DC Millennium? <laughs> yeah, it's true. The famous millennial Brian Michael Bendis. Yep, <laughs> that's right. Uh, Rob Liefeld thinks DC is going under. He does. Um. What the else? Joker's on Twitter. <laughs> the Joker's trick is the best new uh, Twitter account. Not that I would know, but... Vince, <laughs> yeah. why don't you tell us what the rumors about the Joker's trick are? <laughs> since, since you can't confirm nor deny its existence. It's, it's, a, it's just a wonderful... It's a twisted look into the mind of a madman. If you love the world of clowns, check out the Joker's trick. And and, and what is that uh, that Twitter handle? You would think. I, I I would think it's at Joker's underscore trick. Okay. Probably what somebody would use if if they were the Joker. If they were the Joker. <laughs> if they were so inclined. Uh... Fool you once, shame on you. Fool you twice, Joker's trick. <laughs> uh a uh, friend of the show, Walter Richardson, is uh, borderline going insane. He's talking to his therapist about the Joker's trick. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's some good stuff right there. Some good, good stuff. All right, well, let, let's get into the books then. Let's get into Batman number 72, written by Tom King, illustrated by Jorge Fornes and Michael Janin. Um. I'm gonna Vince, break your damn back, Vince. You're you're the one who who rooted for this one to be discussed. So, uh, <laughs> you said "putty please" with sugar on top. Can we talk about Batman? Yeah. So, so just tell us why do you want to talk about Batman? I just I just the the audacity of doing what is basically a recap issue, seventy two issues into this comic. I mean, it, it was gorgeous to look at because the artists are great. But like, when have we not said that about? Tom King's Batman, right? Um, I've been seeing a lot of uh, columns around the net saying, like, this recontextualizes Tom King's run. <laughs> I want to be like, fuck you. No, it doesn't. It does no actually, I've seen s- some takes that it actually contradicts it. I mean, there are, yes, there are, there are ways that it does. If you think about, if you think about what Flashpoint Batman should know about what happened to to Bruce and what Bruce himself has experienced versus what is shown in this issue. There is stuff that contradicts. Um, Specifically the, the booster gold arc. Yeah. Did you you see that or catch that? Yeah. That what, what does it say that contradicts is I, I read the issue like, you know, just for full disclosure, we took a week off of recording. So I read the issue a while ago. I don't remember exactly what it says about the, uh, about that arc. Zach, do you want to take it or? Yeah, so I, I, I may be slightly off on the details here, and again, it's been a long time since we've read that arc. You know, since it came out, whenever that was. But if I recall correctly, in that arc, Booster messes. He goes back in time and changes something. Right? He makes it so that so Bruce's parents don't die. Yeah, and so it he creates an alternate timeline, and then he is stuck there. But in this issue, the way Thomas Wayne describes it is he takes this, he takes our Bruce to this alternate future and shows it to him, which is, I don't think what happened. That's not, yeah, that's not really, 
but but here's the thing, like between this and like the um uh Lagoon Boy getting killed in Heroes in Crisis like debacle about how that doesn't make any sense if you think about Oh yeah. The way that it was depicted, like it's it's either Tom King being sloppy or the art not not you know, if it is in his script, the art doesn't clearly depict it that way, you know, but but more more than that, I think it's just it just shows how like God, and I don't want to rip on this book for like the millionth week in a row, but like there are times where it really does feel like this is just a very simplistic story being stretched out over, you know, what used to be a hundred some issues uh, and is essentially being made up in some ways as it goes along. And, and, and things are, there's ties that have to be made that really don't make sense or, or aren't really logical in the end. But I don't even mind that stuff so much in con. Like I don't get hung up on that stuff. I get hung up on bad writing and I think doing a, you know, 72 issues in doing a recap issue that really doesn't give us any new information. It really doesn't. You can talk about how it recontextualizes things all you want. All it really does is condenses everything down into one issue and explains it for you. All of this stuff that we see are things that if you've been following the story, you just kind of knew they were Bane's, machinations right it it also it does the like in my opinion the carnival sin of of any media but particularly i feel like you see it most in comics and tv shows where you have a character explaining to another character everything that that character did Mm -hmm. you know that the that the second person did it's like I made a sandwich and then Vince described to me the exact process of how I made that sandwich. Well, I want you to make it how I like it. Damn it. I already made it though. Mm. And now you're just telling me how I made it. Maybe I want to, I think it's a bad, I think it's one of the worst things. Oh yeah. Undoubtedly. Yeah. It's terrible. Um, What's especially frustrating about it is that you're sort of being set up throughout the issue I think it's pretty clear that it's Thomas Wayne who's narrating it. Although it never, they never come out and say it's Thomas Wayne until the end, right? But, I mean, here's the thing, though. They they use Batman's traditional uh, yes, exactly narration boxes, but you know it's not Batman. Right. But <laughs> I mean, the, it is Batman, but not the Batman. Right, exactly. But here's the thing. It's, it's setting up... Like, every page ends on what could be a total 180 cliffhanger. I'm not going to look at the dialogue in front of me, but things are said like, you know, Bane, you know, Bane got Selena to do this because he knew what would happen. But it did happen. Like, it, it, it leaves, like, there might be something, but he didn't. But it never says that. It just says the it, everything is written for maximum dramatic impact, but nothing that's being said is actually dramatic. It's so, and we've seen it all before. Yes, it is so poorly done. It 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 is quite possibly the most insulting issue of a very insulting run. I mean, I'm I'm only like I'm ninety percent joking when I say this, but this could have been the script that went into DC, and they were like, oh, "Okay, you don't have one hundred and five issues, so we're pulling you." This this issue should have never happened. You know what I mean? I mean, but what does that say about DC? That instead of just saying you can't give us this filler issue, they had to, uh, you know, just cut everything out. I, I'm I'm mostly joking. No, but I, I don't think I, I don't think what you said is outside their own possibility. Yeah. God damn it, Tom. <laughs> Maybe Rob Liefeld was right. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. This is this is a bad comic, guys. Yeah. I'm sto- I, you know, I feel like for a long time we had the feeling that we were taking crazy pills, that everybody was loving Tom King and we were the ones, like a, you know, a voice crying out in the wilderness that 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 he was bad, that it was bad, that it wasn't good, and I feel like now maybe it's just that I, my echo chamber has started to agree with me, 
But don't you feel like more people are getting down on this run right now? I I kind of do, but I also, for every person I see kind of talking against it, I see someone saying it's, like, better than Snyder's run. So, Yeah. And I, I have no interest in, in, like, accumulating a crowd of people who agree with me or disagree with me Same. Yeah. on this. But, like, I agree with Zach, like, yeah, there are people who are like, finally, this snooze fest is coming to an end or whatever. Um, I think the reviews since, if you look at the like aggregate reviews of uh, this series, they've definitely gone down since the Nightmares arc or like during during the Nightmares arc up till now. And they've still kind of been lower than they had been. But yeah, you still get people online and, you know, agree to disagree but you get people online who are like well at least tom king's doing something different with batman at least this is different at least this is like thoughtful and artsy or whatever and part of me is like i mean it is in some ways like don't get me wrong it is different but at the same time like if it's not good what is that worth if i don't think if i've read 72 issues and i've enjoyed like let's say 10 of them what is all that worth, you know? And let's also I, not forget that, like, when you look at what Snyder did with Batman, and, I, and I'm not the biggest, I mean, I, I like Snyder's Batman run a lot, but I don't think it's a perfect run. But if you just look at the sort of the big arcs, at least half of the big arcs that he did were pretty much totally new concepts. Mm-hmm. You know, Court of Owls was brand new. Zero Year, he found a way to do kind of a, an early Batman story that had never really been done before. I think whether you liked or hated the super heavy stuff with with Gordon as Batman, that was a very new idea. Um, you know, oh, yeah. I, I don't I don't think you can say that that Snyder didn't do new stuff with Batman. Right, right. And I think people are referring to the 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 style that it's written in or the the way that Tom King writes for the art. And, and I can see some of that, but it's at the same time, like if it doesn't amount to something that, um, you know, if I'm laughing at it more than I'm <laughs> more than I'm marveling over it, you know, and then there's something that's not connecting there. And then the, then the, you know, going out on a limb and trying something different doesn't, doesn't amount to all that much, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean to me Snyder's Batman was a breath of fresh air. I agree. I think, you know, I think the only arc I didn't like out of all that stuff was uh Death of the Family and I just I just thought it was because the the conclusion the conclusion wasn't didn't uh, live up to the hype that the earlier issues would have brought to it, you know. Sure, yeah. But that that's the Joker's trick after all, so <laughs> what he's going for. Yes. Um, but anyway, so, this is this is no good. So. Yeah. Um, Zach, anything to add? Yeah, I did have one thing to add. Um, let me find the page number that you need to turn to. Give me just a second. Um, let me open my closed PDF. <laughs> this is really important. Um, okay. Is it a nut face? Page nine in the PDF. <clears throat> Okay. Are you there? Thomas Wayne John Krasinski? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Oh, no. (laughs) I didn't notice it until right now, but as soon as I opened it, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's John Krasinski. Absolutely. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Does that mean that Jack Ryan was Thomas Wayne? Oh, no. Wait a second, hang on. If Jim Halpert <laughs> is Thomas Wayne. Okay, well then Pam is is Martha. Of course. Bruce is Cece. Yes. Um Dwight's the freaking joker. <laughs> uh Michael Scott is um maybe Lucius Fox. He, he could be Commissioner Gordon. He, he could be Commissioner Gordon. Uh Lucius Fox is a Toby. 
<laughs> no, he, nobody hates Lucius Fox as much as people hate Toby. Yeah, but he's like the bureaucrat. He's like the one who's like, oh, Batman, don't do this. <laughs> sure, yeah, okay, you're right, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, so, so, so if Michael who's Scott... Here, who's Karen Filippelli, then? <laughs> Ooh. Uh, uh, Talia. Oh, wait, that doesn't... Wait, wait no, that doesn't no, work. No, Sorry, no, I'm mixing... No. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Um... <laughs> I will say this. If Michael Scott is Jim Gordon, then Todd Packer is Harvey Bullock. <laughs> yes. Okay. So that's perfect. Yes. Okay. Okay. Uh, can we just quit there? This is... I feel like we're already fucked by uh, by having Thomas Wayne be Jim. That doesn't... That screws everything up. <laughs> I know it doesn't really work, but it's so clear. It's, you know... <laughs> Uh, that's that's really funny. What a weird reference image. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It would have been really funny if it was a clearly identifiable, very memeable uh, gym face. Yeah. Like the one of him looking at the camera just going like, hmm? Yeah. That's what the portrait was. <laughs> John Krasinski has a real uh, Jimmy Stewart vibe if you go by this drawing. He's, he could play that every man. Yeah. I, I was going to try and do that, uh, the road tweet with the office in there. Like, <laughs> now, we're, we're trying to sell some paper down by the, <laughs> down by the sea. <laughs> no, nothing fancier. Nothing fancier. Nothing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We're fully on our bullshit. So yeah, we, gotta, we, uh, we are. We are absolutely it's been a while. Nice. You got to give us a break. It's been a while. Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> All right. Let's, let's talk about deceased number two. Written by Tom Taylor, illustrated by Taylor Harrison. Um, so I, I just wanted to say we we're, we're not going to spend too much time on this issue. I just wanted to say how fun I think this book is right now. I think that they're especially the Ollie Dinah Hal sequence was so much fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was really really good when Oliver says like. Congratulations, you've been inducted into the, uh, what does it say? Oh, the Killjoy Corps. Like, that was, you know, that, that's, that's a, that's a, that was a fun moment between those characters. And I think that overall, Tom Taylor is doing a good job of writing these characters, even though they're not the versions. Like, it's not, it's an Elseworld story, right? But he's still writing them, I think, very true to who they, who they are. And that's really my only comment on it. Zach, you had, you had something you wanted to say about this, right? Um, so the only thing that I wanted to say is that um, I thought it was interesting that this issue put the focus on Green Arrow, Dinah, and Harley a little bit, because those are three characters that he used a lot in his Injustice comic. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. I haven't read much of Injustice, but what I have read, I, I do remember that the... Before rebirth happened, that was the place to get your Ali Dinah stuff, mm-hmm. and uh, and yeah, it's it's interesting to see him doing that again. I just this is fine. I would I would put it on the okay list. Were we not talking about it? Um, I just think the art is not for me. Uh, I I typically don't jive with uh, hair science style. Um. And I just don't like. Why was this the best-selling book? Why was issue number one the best-selling book of the month in comics? There's like an entire sector of comic readers that I just don't jive with, and that's fine. Like, I'm not judging them. I'm just, I'm just surprised whenever it happens. It's like the Marvel Zombies thing, you know? Which this is clearly aping. Exactly. But it happens, and I go like, "What?" I never expect it to happen, and I'm not sure why because I should know by now. I apparently this stuff is wildly popular. That's great. I'm glad people enjoy it. I will say this: um, I think that there are some concepts introduced here that are fun and that have potential for this becoming a sort of. I don't want to say an ongoing, because I don't mean that, but, like, if Dinah stays Green Lantern in this story, 
I think it might be fun a year from now to do another miniseries set in this world with her as Green Lantern, right? Like the, I think Taylor is a good enough writer, and I think he gets alternate universe stories and sort of gets what makes them uh, tick, makes them enjoyable. And I would like to see him explore an idea like that further. Um, does that mean it should be the best-selling comic of the month? Absolutely not. But you, you understand what I'm saying, I think, you know? Just, mm-hmm. just uh, that he does a good job at giving some, uh, giving some depth to this new world we just sort of experienced for the first time. Yeah, I don't even, I don't even not think it should be the best. Song. Yeah, I just think I'm just always surprised. That's all. I never, nobody ever expects the Spanish Inquisition. So, nor the Joker's trick. I'm such a baby bird brain. Yeah. Well, I just eat that shit up. You're sitting here also retweeting the Joker's trick as we should be. I mean, I mean, I'm not. Po- what are I you mean, talking I mean, about? posting Joker's t- trick tweets to Goodreads while we're doing the show. <laughs> so I have no idea what you're talking about. Just uh. <laughs> any other comments on this book? Okay, well, let's get to Deathstroke number 44, written by Priest, illustrated by Fernando Pissarin. Um, So this is the first issue after Slade's apparent death in uh, in the, uh, what was that crossover called? The Terminus Agenda. Terminus Agenda, thank you. Mm-hmm. And this gives us uh, a funeral scene with lots of different... Um, characters getting their sort of one-liners in but it also gives us a little bit more of the uh, teen titan story and it uh excuse me the yawns all of a sudden and it also uh you know pushes the jericho story which is what's going to be you know, carrying this book it appears for the next few months so zach i'll start with you what did you think of this issue Oh man, I thought that this was a great issue in a in a series of great issues. Um, I loved how this tied into what Snyder's doing in Justice League without explicitly tying into it. Um, I loved the twist with Superman at the end, and mm-hmm. it's something that is it's not telegraphed per se, but the focus on Doctor Light makes it obvious at the end. Mm-hmm. but you never would have guessed that that's what was happening necessarily. Um, this I thought that this issue was pretty near perfect for, in, in terms of this series, I think. I, I, I like this a lot. I could gush over it more. <laughs> Vince? <clears throat> yeah, it's fabulous. Uh you know, with Deathstroke these days, it's kind of like second verse, same as the first. Every time we talk about it, I just say the same shit about how it's not its not embarrassed about being a comic. Uh, it's constantly doing these little twists that, like, even if you see them coming, they're really satisfying because it, it's just like, with Priest, you expect, like the, like, like the Dr. Light uh, thing that you're talking about, Zach. That's totally something that, Priest does a thing like that in every issue, doesn't he? You know, mm-hmm. pretty much. And sometimes you see it coming and sometimes you don't. And, you know, either way, it's really satisfying because you're looking for it and you're kind of playing along with the comic. And at the same time, it's just behaving the way that a comic book should in a shared universe. And uh, I just love it. But I could, I could say the same shit I always say about it, but I think... I think instead what I want to point out about this issue is um, one thing that I like in comics is when, you know, a book gets announced and this is the creative team, this is the writer, this is the artist. And inevitably the artist moves on to some other, some other uh, book, probably to goose sales or to just get a different, you know, rotation. It seems like the churn happens more with artists than writers. And that's, it's kind of understood why that I think that artists have a lot 
more time intensive work. Um, but I think what's an interesting phenomenon in comics is when a new artist comes onto a book and you think, oh, that's just temporary. So like Fernando Passerin comes on to Deathstroke, you know, was it the Defiance arc? Um, uh, possibly, yes. Yeah. And, 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 and I thought at the time, like, is this just a fill-in? Is this just one arc he's going to do? And I like not knowing that. And then I like, you know, 20 issues later, oh, he's still on this book. Yeah, he he he's and the, Fernando Pissarin have been, uh, I mean. He's the, he's the, the two, Deathstroke right? artist Aren't now. those yeah. the two guys? Pissarin and who's the other guy? Um, oh, Carlo Pagulayan. Yeah. Yeah, but I feel like Peggy Lyons kind of faded recently for Passerin. But regardless, like, because who was the artist when it all started? Was it Peggy Lyon? Yeah. Okay. And, and there's also, um, who was the other guy who was there sometimes? Was it Joe, Joe Bennett? Bennett? Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, Joe, and yeah. Larry Hama was doing breakdowns for a while. Yep. Yeah. So what I'm saying is, like, I love when a, when a new artist comes on and all of a sudden, like, a couple arcs down the road, you realize they're, oh, they're really a part of this team now. They're not just, it wasn't just a fill-in. It wasn't just a, a temporary switcheroo. Like, Passerin has really made the Deathstroke, the priest-Deathstroke world his own, in his own right, you know? Yes. And now when I look at Passerin art, like, I used to always think Green Lantern Corps. And now I'm going to include Deathstroke in that. And I think it's just, I, I love when that happens in comic. It's, it's a, you know, some people get kind of sick of artists always changing or creative teams always changing, but I've learned to find, I mean, fill-in artists are definitely disappointing sometimes, but I've learned to find like the bright side of all of a sudden Passerin has made Deathstroke part of his oeuvre now, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, I really like the work he's doing. That spread at at Slade's funeral is incredible, where it's up above and you're seeing all the the villains in sort of a semicircle around him. Mm-hmm. What a great double page there. Did either of you guys have a favorite mourner? Oh, man. I'll have to look at them again. Um, yeah, me too. Um, well, you can say yours, Brian. No, if you're... I, I, don't, I don't know if I have one. I was curious if you guys had yours. Um but no, I, while you guys are looking at it, what I'll say is I feel like both Rose and Joseph have been sort of secondary or tertiary characters throughout this entire run. But it's nice to see them stepping up now and being uh, being imp- being important characters in this book in a way that doesn't feel like they're just shoehorning them in. Like, I feel like every character that was introduced as part of this book even going back to Defiance with, like, Kid Flash, he goes away for a while, but when he comes back, it doesn't feel like they're just shoving him in. It feels like there's a natural, organic reason for him coming back into it. And right now, there's a natural, organic reason for his kids to be, you know, the the, the new stars of the book. It just, it just feels to me like this is the best thought-out book DC's putting out. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about Tom King's Batman feeling like it's sometimes... Uh, you know, changing on a dime for no real reason. I I feel the exact opposite about Deathstroke. Yeah, totally. I think, uh, my favorite I think, is Deadline. I think my spinning. favorite. Uh, okay, which one was it? Red Dead, Lion. Deadline spitting on his grave. No, that wasn't oh, Red Lion. That okay, was uh, yeah. Deadline. Yeah. He 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 said Deadline. I thought he said Red Lion. Oh, okay, yeah. Misunderstanding. Yeah. Oh, Mine Deadline. Was, uh... Red Lion. Oh yeah. yeah. No. Yeah. Deadline. Yeah. Deadline. Yeah. Mine was um, probably Raptor. Yeah, mine I too. I forgot he existed. Yeah. I like that, that he, he says, eat, eat your, your neck. neck in Romani. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's good. This is just a great issue. Uh, also, gotta love um, <laughs> Grodd's Lex Baby Bjorn. <laughs> is that Lex or is that another baby? No, that's a uh, turtle. That's turtle. That's turtle. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, it's turtle. Yeah. 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 Lex is some. Lex isn't a baby. He's some weird like. Right. He's like a he's hooded a, guy he's, now. He he's a Prometheus. A Prometheus. <laughs> he's powder. Did 
He's do you guys remember the famous uh, Damon Lindelof um, <laughs> Prometheus? I do, yep. Yeah, that's what he is now. Can't wait to talk about that on the show. <laughs> um, but yeah, another excellent Deathstroke issue from our pal Priest. Um, who said some not great things recently? We should oh boy! Ugh. Oh, wow. yeah. Yeah. Poor interview went poorly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as Zach said in the text to us, "Old is gonna old," right? <laughs> you know, that's just uh, just kind of the way it goes, I guess. Yeah. Um. All right. Well, let's do this. Let's take a break, and we'll come back in just a minute with more DC. Hello, everybody. My name is Mike. And I'm Greg. And together, we are Robots from Tomorrow, a twice-weekly podcast appearing at MultiversityComics.com. Each week, we take some time to check out books and shelves on Wednesday that are worth your attention. And each month, we dissect the previous catalog. We also have long-form discussions about books we've enjoyed, like Dan Clow's Ghost World and Jack Kirby and Mike Royer's Commanding. And if that's not enough, we also do creator interviews. Some of the talks you'll find in our archives feature Mike Mignola, Leila Del Duca, Sean Martinborough, Emma Beebe, and Greg Rucka. So that's a lot of content for everybody. Please subscribe to Robots from Tomorrow on iTunes or Stitcher so you never miss a thing. Robots from Tomorrow has hours of comic-focused entertainment week in and week out. And now, back to your show. Up next is The Green Lantern number 8, written by Grant Morrison, illustrated by Liam Sharp. This is the hard-traveling heroes uh, homage, Ollie and Hal back together again. Um, Zine, Arrow... (laughs) Zine Arrow and Zine Lantern. And Zine Lantern. Um, God. How great was this issue, guys? I mean... This is my favorite issue of the series so far. Uh, the audio is almost unusable. So I'm not going to put it on the show. But when I, I got to talk to Sharp and Morrison about this issue. And Liam Sharp said that his like motivation for this issue was he wanted to draw it as if Jack Kirby wrote it and Neil Adams drew it. And I think that's a pretty accurate description of what we got here. Yeah. Which is amazing. Yeah. I'm, I mean, this is like the best stuff that Morrison would do in Batman. Yeah, where he would like pull an insanely... Like the like the Kathy Kane stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and like... And uh, Robin dies at dawn, and and um, all just all the weird Silver Age stuff. From Zine, Zine Lantern is in one issue of uh, Adventure Comics from 1958. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> but I love how you don't have to know that to enjoy it. Of course not. No, it no, makes to- you don't. It it makes total in context sense somehow. Yeah. Yeah, and 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 like also the the new characters are just there's just so many great lines in this. I mean, Morrison in this issue creates a, a race of people for which uh, euthanasia is a blessing and um, an intergalactic sniper and souls as drugs and. Um, there's just like there's a string of lines. I can't remember exactly where it starts, but it's just it's just too perfect. Um, I know this is riveting audio. I'm trying I mean, to find like the even just ones. the idea of like Hal and Ollie together shooting an arrow through space <laughs> to like pick somebody off on the moon. Yeah, I just, mean, what a, what a great team. Yeah, it's it's the best. It's so good. Yeah, it's it's like unfair how good it is. Um, <laughs> I mean, if you ever if you ever like if people don't know my taste by now or like what I want what I want comics to be written like, it's like this or Deathstroke, you know. <laughs> <laughs> sure. I mean, these are my optimal. The th- I love comics that that pull from everything and don't care too much about. Does it make sense continuity wise? Because everything makes sense. Let's just read comics as if everything makes sense. Um, 
And, and yeah, just, I love how light of a sense of humor this has about itself. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, uh, it's something else. And I love what was, uh, Morrison gave a really great answer. You asked about Zine, Zine Arrow and Zine Lantern mm-hmm. in the interview, Brian. And he gave a really great answer about, like, I forget exactly what he said, but help, help me out here if I misquote or something. Okay. He said something He said something about the writer, and I can't remember who wrote that issue. It was Jack Kirby. Was it? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, he said, anyway, he said, uh, you know, there's a man who's, like, trying trying to feed his family off of these stories. Yep. Uh-huh. And I thought that's such a, Oh yeah. Jack Kirby and France Heron. Yeah. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, but that is such a great answer to that question, you know? Yeah. And certainly Grant Morrison is not worried about feeding his family these days, you know, but he knows what that's like. And I'm sure he can draw from that. Like, Back in the day when he was drawing and writing and trying to self-publish comics or whatever, I, I'm sure he felt that, and and can draw upon that. And you and you see Liam Sharp draw those characters the same way that that they were drawn back then. These like strange, slender, gigantic, <laughs> you know, just batshit crazy. I love that. I love that nobody gives a fuck whether that makes sense to the the reader or not. You know. Yeah. Uh, I just I, I want to toot my own horn one more second here, and just quote Morrison for so they, they pretty much have soft announced that this series is going to end with issue twelve, and a, a second series will start next year from the same team. And so I asked Morrison and Sharp how they would describe season two. And uh, I'm going to sort of cherry pick from what Morrison said. He gave me three answers, and they all ended with him shouting, the Daleks, from uh, uh, Doctor Who. But he said, antimatter destruction of all known living things, the end of all DC, the end of all everything, the end of all imagination. Oh, so he agrees with Rob Liefeld, too. Exactly, yeah. Uh, But how exciting is that for a description of, of the series? he can do anything he can do whatever he wants yeah i wouldn't want grant to give an answer that was any different from that to be honest (laughs) yeah and that's my one critique of his action comics run i have to go back and reread it but to me it felt like morrison being hampered in by the new 52 and that he couldn't give an answer like this right but don't you think you know if I don't remember much of that run either, but but while I was reading it, I kind of thought like, the, the this feels like Grant really trying to get beyond the new fifty. Like, he's trying to do something apart from the new fifty two, and and it just kept like crashing back to earth, you know. Like I think about the one issue where he did the uh, the Superman of Earth twenty three or whatever it was. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. With uh, the the Obama pre- the yeah that's Super right Obama's. yeah yeah uh, look that that's that's an issue where it's like what is this doing in a new fifty two like landscape and he got he got away with it you know but then but then like the next issue would crash back down to earth or whatever you know it was clearly clearly things happened differently from the way he would have liked it because I I feel like he would go if if he had his choice. He would go more for what he's doing here were he able to really cut loose, you know? Sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I will say, like, in that book's defense, I think that was really the only New 52 book that really kind of lived up to the promise of what the New 52 could kind of do, which was this weird, really different reimagining. Um no, no other book really did that. Mm-hmm. Well, some of them did it extremely poorly. Like Superboy. I mean, 
Yeah. Okay. I mean, I would give I would give it to Superboy for trying at least. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yep. Uh, maybe. <laughs> uh, I'm not gonna come down on either side of that. But yeah. Um. Anyway, uh, Scott Lobdell, Defender is logged on. <laughs> the Green Lantern is good. That's all that matters. Let's dig into Justice League number 25. I got very scared, guys, when I saw the, the title page of this. And I saw Tynan's name on it. But he writes the backup. He's not co-writing with Snyder. So yeah. this was, the first story was written by Snyder, illustrated by Jorge Jimenez. The second story is written by James Tynan. The fourth, illustrated by Javi Fernandez. Um, so the last few issues have all opened up with this, with Clark having his sort of Smallville flashbacks and that continues through. You know, I, I don't know why I'm recapping all this. Vince, let's just start with you. What'd you think of this issue? I really liked it. I I think that this arc was really great. Um I think Justice League feels back on track to me. I, I know that we've talked about past, prior issues of this, maybe even the last issue, about how all the pieces are really good and like the whole just wasn't coming together for us mm -hmm. but I think I think it did that for me in this issue I bet if I went back and read this arc as a whole in fact I might do that um, I think I would I mean I already I already liked all the bits and pieces but I, I think I would feel a lot more favorably about it as a whole as well because uh, this kind of brought it brought the conflict together for me it it had a sort of perfect ending with how Clark gets out of his predicament. Yeah. And Batman's role in that. And, uh, yeah, just, I really like, and the art, of course, killer Jorge Jimenez, the punch that Superman does. Mm -hmm. Talk about a, a artistic showcase, that whole sequence. How great was that? That was my favorite sequence in this whole arc, I think. And I thought the backup was good, too. Like, there's nothing wrong with the backup. Agreed. It wasn't so exposition heavy. No. Zach, what do you think of this issue? Um, I also liked it very much. Um, yeah, the punch scene, that's like the three generations of Kents together, was... Mm -hmm. Very touching. Um, Vince, it reminds me of the father-son Kamehameha and <laughs> Cell Saga. Oh, damn. That's good, Zach. I cannot uh, believe I didn't pull that. Um, but uh, Batman, Batman's the worst, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> look, mean, I'm going to read this. Good. I'm going to read this. Um Let's see. I moved the suns into fast orbit, knowing Clark could die, believing believing maybe we'd have a better chance if he did. But also knowing if he pushed through, the suns would be there for him. I gave him a chance, a chance to prove me wrong, because he's my friend. <laughs> and he makes me believe in things I can't on my own. So basically, yeah, I kind of wanted you to die. No. And, and I tried to make it, I made it so that if you did live, you really deserved to, and you proved me wrong. Thank you. That... <laughs> he's not very... wrong. He's not That's wrong. Very... No, he's not. Zach, you're not wrong. That's very funny. But I think... I don't, I don't know if it's I... funny. <laughs> I'm laughing. <laughs> I think at the end of the You are not owned. Day... You are laughing. <laughs> yes, I'm I'm not shrinking into a corn cob. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> I think um, I think the ultimate point that is made about Batman's relationship to Superman is beautiful and correct. And therefore, like, if you get past the loony logic that it takes to get there, the, the thing about the thing about uh, Superman getting Bruce to believe in things that he would wouldn't otherwise or shouldn't otherwise that is the essential nature of their relation. That is what makes the super smart, uh, super prepared martial arts human 
be able to stand next to a God and have that relationship make sense, you know? So what you're saying, Zach, is not wrong. I, I don't disagree. <laughs> I don't disagree with you bringing that up as like a, what the, you know, what the hell? <laughs> but I think more what it's about is that without, without Superman, Bruce doesn't have any hope in thing. You know what I mean? That's I, uh, yeah, that's fair. I mean, to me, I read that as like Bruce giving Superman a chance to prove that he's the OP overpowered character and and just the best the best hero there is, you know. So, Vince, a uh, a listener who I've already forgotten who it was, so I'm sorry, had uh, DM me on on Twitter where you are not and said that they wanted to know if you felt that who was less likely to kill even through like collateral damage situations, <laughs> Batman or Superman? <laughs> oh, Oh, that is so good. Who, Oh man, who was it? Was it somebody who was mad at me for, for thinking Batman shouldn't kill? No, I think they just legitimately wanted your opinion on this. That's really interesting. That is because I hadn't really considered that question. Then once they said it, I was like, "Oh dang, yeah, that's uh, that shoots more holes in Vince's bullshit." Hey, hey, <laughs> now, just hey. Just First kidding. of all, whoever whoever that listener was, thank you for the question. That's a very good question. That's I can't imagine a better question being asked of us on this show. Um, I'm gonna give you a really cop out, bullshitty answer. <laughs> okay. Uh, if you're talking about the way that a comic book universe metaphysically functions, like the meta tech. Hey, again, Grant Morrison would agree with me. And that's, that's good enough for me. Uh, Bruce would be the one less likely to kill. If you consider the meta text, because his thing is literally that he doesn't care. Like it's his one rule that's been established. You know, that's, that's so like meta textually, but if you're talking about the character, the essential nature of the person as we understand them to be, not who they define themselves as, but who we understand Superman and Batman to be, then then yes, Batman is the one who's more likely to accidentally murder somebody. <laughs> Does that make sense? Does that answer make sense? Sure, yes. Like writer writers are going to bend heaven and earth to make sure that Batman doesn't kill somebody. I could see somebody. I could see there being a story where Superman accidentally does. See, here's the difference to me: writers would bend heaven and earth to make sure that Bruce doesn't kill somebody. Superman would bend heaven and earth to make sure he didn't kill somebody. Now, who's dealing in meta text, Brian? I'm just, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. <laughs> oh man, it's like we. It's like our brains are just expanding on this very show. <laughs> Zach, what say you? I'm with Brian. I think you coward to me that Superman actually is a wonderful, beautiful soul who can never hurt anyone. (laughs) You are letting your Batman hate and Batman can only hurt people. All right, listeners. I don't hate either of these characters. I'm like, these guys, these guys are biased. They hate Batman. (laughs) I like both of them. You know how they say that, like, you can either be a Beatles guy or a Stones guy, but you can't be both? That you're I'm always going to like one more than the other? You know, like, I feel the same thing with Superman and Batman. You can like them both, but ultimately you cast your lot with one or the other. Okay, so if if Superman is Paul McCartney, mm-hmm. uh, that's a joke. I don't really want to do this. It was uh, going to be one of one of our things, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, obviously, John and Paul work really well as Superman and Batman. Everyone, <laughs> well, everyone knows that. Yeah, yeah. Um, does that make does that make uh, does that make Sean Lennon a Damian? Yes. <laughs> yes, it does. And, and you can just imagine Superman being like, uh, you know, Superman is definitely like chopped carrots while singing "Obla Di Obla Da." <laughs> you you know he has. He's making dinner. He's jamming out to the White Album side one. Yeah. Yeah. And and of course Bruce says I don't believe in 
God, I don't believe in Batman. <laughs> yeah. I don't believe. Yeah, I don't believe Sup- in Beetle. <laughs> Superman, Kal-El is a concept by which we measure our pain. It's <laughs> 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 uh, too perfect. This is good though, Zach. You, you talk more about this. About what? I don't know. I talk. Somebody talk more. This is a, this is a really good issue. <laughs> I want to get us back on track. Oh, oh you want to talk more about the issue. Okay, okay. I thought you were talking about this. Like, this no, no, I was like, I have no. nothing else to say about this. Okay. Um, so Marshall a Mahindra's few Mahindra. things I like. A few things I like. Um, Shane is still around. Yes, that is good. That is objectively good. Objectively good. Um, like, if nothing else comes out of this run, I want him to be a character forever. <laughs> Um, Starro still calls Batman Daddy. <laughs> I love That's how Batman. That's also objectively good. How Batman says like, "Don't call me that," but then when he curses, he goes, "Language." Like, yeah. <laughs> he, he, don't call me dad, but I'm still totally your dad. Yeah. That's very good. Um, and also, I really do kind of dig Prometheus Lex. Like, I'm I'm kind of in for that. Um, and I really like how. So, my one complaint about this arc at the end of Snyder's part was that this was six issues that didn't really progress the story that much mm-hmm. in, in so much as we were still left at the same end point, you know, sure. or we were left, we were left where we began. Essentially the multiverse is still ending. Everything is still bad. Um, but Tynion's epilogue framing, that all of this stuff that we knew Lex was doing from the DC villain special made made everything land a lot better. I think having them come back and it's already too late was perfect. Yeah. yeah. Um, also, who who do you think has the best idea? Uh, the World Forger, Starman, or Wonder Woman? Starman's is the flimsiest, I think, but I want to. I want to believe in him. But it's the best one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Zach, why, why don't you read all three ideas for our listeners? So these these are these are three things to to do in order to combat what Lex has done and unleashing Doom. The World Forger thinks that they need to find uh, his brothers, the Monitor and Anti Monitor, because they're the only hope. Uh, Starman wants to solve the mystery of the power inside himself. <laughs> yeah. uh, he can feel <laughs> hypertime and the multiverse echoing through him. And uh, in the background are pictures of uh, various multiversal characters, including uh, Commandy, uh, President Superman, uh, DC 1 million Superman, Captain Carrot. Uh, all the good ones are in there. They're all there. Oh, and then Wonder Woman is just like, hey, let's have a big team up. I don't know. Justice League Unlimited. That's fine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're all good ideas. But dare, dare I say we're all we're going to see elements of all those. I really hope so. You know, but I guess I guess truly, uh, you know, John is John Jones is the most big brain of everyone because he <laughs> says <laughs> we need to do all of it, all of it and more. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. He's got the best idea. He has the best idea. Definitely. Uh, this, um, th- this is good comics. Yeah. It's been a lot of fun to see, like, I, I feel like one of the things about Snyder's arcs on the book as opposed to Tynion's arcs is I feel like, like Zach said, some of them don't initially reveal how they're connecting to the, to the sort of larger overarching plot of the book. But when they do connect and you see how everything's been laid out, it's uh, it's Italian chef kiss emoji, which is really really satisfying. And uh, yeah, I'm super excited to get this next issue in just two weeks. Um, so yeah, anything else to say about Justice League? Um. Javi Fernandez art is is an interesting choice, but I I liked it. I was really surprised that that was colored by Hi-Fi, 
because that is not the type of coloring I associate with hi-fi. But I thought it was quite good. Yeah. yeah. And that has been our coloring chat for this week. <laughs> I, I always like to talk a little bit about the coloring and the lettering if we can. It's because, a good thing to do. Cause... Yeah. It sets apart comics in so many ways and we just ignore it as not not we as in the three of us all the time, but, you know, comic well, readers in general. I'm yeah, I would. I, it's a step up above lettering in terms of recognition, I think. But yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, let's get to our final issue of the week, which is Young Justice number six, written by Brian Michael Bendis, illustrated by John Timms. Uh, this issue did something really interesting for me, which is that I feel like this issue had the best and worst of Bendis in one issue, but the best one out. Yeah. <laughs> Do yeah. you guys agree with that assessment of this issue? I think that's fair, yeah. I don't know if I can really place my finger on the specific parts that really irk me. Well, there's just... This issue felt like... like There was no reason to have... From a storytelling perspective, no reason to have each of the characters kind of like rehash their origins... I feel like that would have been more effective over the course of the last few issues, as opposed to having this like last issue. Like, wait a second, we have to we have to fill in all these questions right now. It sort of made for a disjointed read for the first half of the book. Mm. Yeah, I agree. It, I agree that it was a little contrived, but I kind of appreciated it for like say Teen Lantern, who we basically knew nothing about, you know. Oh, man, this is a tangent, but it reminds me, I, I saw someone on Twitter uh, theorizing that Kyle Rayner actually died in in Heroes in Crisis and that Teen Lantern has his ring, which is, number one, like, dumb, because I think this book, like, from the get-go said that she doesn't have a ring, you know, she's just yeah. hacking the lantern, but also... Gosh, that would be the worst. Well, Kyle was in the the final set of interviews at Sanctuary. You're right. That makes that person's. I think that I can't remember if that came out if I saw that before or after number nine. But yeah. you're right. Yeah. It just made me mad that anyone would even suggest. <laughs> <laughs> We've yeah. lost enough. Yep, that's right. Uh, I do like how uh, they think she's a nine year old. Green Lantern. She says she's an eleven-year-old, which still doesn't make her a teen. Um, so this comic book is using like uh, Japanese manga conventions for how we determine age, I guess. <laughs> which Zach knows from his, the manga cast, right? Yeah. <laughs> how problematic! Like, you guys are always talking on that show about like these are thirteen-year-olds that are yeah, written well, like seventeen-year-olds. <laughs> Well, yeah, an eight, uh, like 19-year-old is essentially like a senior citizen, so. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, no, that was just a little yuck-yuck there um, that I wanted to get out. I liked the uh, Pulp Fiction moment with Ginny Hex's uh, chest that she opened up. Yes. That was good. Uh, I, I get what you're saying about, like, the, the Bendis being on his bullshit thing a little bit, but... What I think about that is that in this particular configuration of this particular team, it's really working for me a lot more than it's not working, you know? And I think, like, again, I know David Walker, like, wrote Naomi. I don't know how much – we don't know how much Bendis wrote of that. But, like, to use that book as an example – when you're talking about a story written about one character, that there was a little too much uh, Bendis shtick in that. But when it's a group like this, and they're a youthful group, and they go back and forth, I think I can I can stomach a lot more of that. It takes me longer to reach my fill when it's a configuration like this. It just seemed to me like the the issue would have flowed better if they could have told the story part of it and not worried about like three individual flashbacks. 
I think that's right. I think we had those same complaints with the first couple issues. Like, I think issue two and three, uh, you know, got away from whatever the task at hand was. Right, yeah. And I think we said so at the time. And, and I think, yeah, there was something about the structure of this that didn't quite jive with us. But It's but, still a good issue, though. Oh, yeah. And I actually really liked the explanation for Connor's wife and kid. Yeah. Yeah, I did too, I think. Not that he couldn't have <laughs> had a kid, but <laughs> sure. I don't know. I don't know how Bart would have handled it, but but it just seems to be it's a very it's a very Connor thing to do. He was like stepping up to help somebody else. You know, and uh, in a very unassuming way, it was it was it was a very good character moment. Mm-hmm. I I am legitimately curious how Young Justice is how half the team remembers and half the team doesn't. Like their their past. You know, I'm very interested to hear how that's going to come together, storyline wise. Yeah, are we meant to think? Correct me if I'm wrong, but are we meant to think that that now, by being together, they all do remember? I don't know because know. doesn't doesn't Tim say that he likes that he just now remembers like the broad strokes of it? Okay, okay, maybe. So potentially it is coming back to them, but yes, okay, yeah. So so there is there's still questions to be answered there. Um. Yeah. I like when they all teleported out in in Jenny Hex's uh, truck, and Connor was standing on the hood of it. Yep, <laughs> that was a really great, great image. Well, let's get to our lists for this week. Um, on the good list was Adventures of the Super Sons, the penultimate issue. On the okay list was Female Furies, also the penultimate issue. On the Harley Quinn list was you guessed it, Harley Quinn. On the same universe list was the Dreaming. On the IDW crossover list is Batman TMNT three, and uh, yeah, that's it. That's it for our list for this week. Vincey, hit us with next week. What's coming out next week? Oh, Batman and the Outsiders, the Batman Who Laughs, Catwoman, Detective Comics uh, one thousand five, Event Leviathan number one. How excited are we about that, boys? That's. That's Not at deal. all. All right. No, no, I, I, was, I was saying no. that's a big deal. I'm excited about that. I yeah, yeah I'm very excited. Uh, yes, me too. Uh, Flash seventy two, Hawkman thirteen. The first is that the first non hitch. Yes, it Hawkman? is. Um, Justice League Odyssey number ten, House of Whispers ten, Red Hood Outlaw number thirty five, Supergirl thirty one, Superman twelve. Wonder Twins 5, Wonder Woman 72. That's a huge week, you guys. I'm going to read at least five or six of those. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Yeah. And uh, just today, we got an email about something I had totally forgotten is happening. It's not happening for about a month, but I totally forgot it's happening. I forgot about the Justice League uh, Black Hammer crossover. Hmm. So we we had we have we have that coming up in about a month to talk about too. I'm excited. I'm, I might try and catch up on all of Black Hammer before then. Yeah, I'm very yeah. far behind. So we'll see if that's actually going to happen or not. But we'll see. Uh, until then, you can find two thirds of us on Twitter. I am at Brian Needs a Nap. I'm at Wilker Fox. If you have to get in touch with Vince. The obvious way to do it is to just um, stand in your driveway or at a window or something and just shout, Batman once accidentally killed a dude, and he will swoop in and tell you how fucking dumb you are. I've never used um, such a harsh phrasing. Even if it is objectively true, because it happened in Batman v Superman. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Just... At me at uh, Joker's Trick. <laughs> what if? <laughs> All right, so so uh, listeners, I took a week off the internet, 
And uh, Vince texted me about this great new Twitter account called The Joker's Trick. What if this was Vince's way of coming back to Twitter? He created this account and then started like a whispering campaign about how great it is. And this, he's going to reveal it in a few weeks. That he is actually The Joker's Trick. No, because now The Joker's Trick is going to say something problematic and that's going to get pinned on me when, when I have nothing to do with. I, I'm just an enthusiast. Sure. Um, until the Joker's trick milkshake ducks, I'm I'm ride or die. <laughs> well, when that happens, you'll hear that here first. Enjoy your comics. I who is uh who's drawing it right now? Uh God, I, it was two weeks ago that is I read it. Joe? it so. It's Huh? Isn't it Joe? Joe? Joe Mama. God damn, you fucking... <laughs> wow. <laughs> Why are you so mad at me? How dare you do that on during the Sacred E3 conference? <laughs>